tea lady spitting at the nick of jacks Businessman with a needle and a spoon Coyote chewing on a cigarette Pack of young boys going howling at the moon Head darling, sleeping on the blacktop Head darling, running through the trees, honey Head darling, leaving for the next time Lesson my sets catches up with me And boom, we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by Generous United. Generous United is a membership-based buying group headquartered right here in Atlantic Canada. Their goal is to make sure prescription drugs are more affordable so you can live a healthier life during this pandemic. One thing I love about Generous United right now is that they're helping out small companies that can't afford health care for their employees whether it's dental get a massage acupuncture whatever form of health care you can save money in, you're going to be able to afford other aspects of health care so what generous united will do is team up with the local member of your community which is called a pharmacist the pharmacist will team up with generous united and come up with a free attentive online service that will allow you to save money on your prescription drugs head on over to generousunited.ca and see if there's anything that they can be doing for you. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the High Button Podcast. It's been a little bit of a break here. It's been a tough two weeks. I'm not going to lie with COVID hitting here uh, hard in Nova Scotia in Atlantic Canada. Uh, we're going to bounce back strong, though. The people that live in this part of the world are, are strong-minded. Uh, we're always willing to help out our neighbors, and we always bounce back bigger and better every single time. So if you're out there and you're going through a tough time right now, just know that you're not alone, and we're uh, we're all going to come outside, uh, or excuse me, come out on the other side of this thing better and stronger whether you know it or not there's always a light uh, at the end of the tunnel so we're, we're going to come back we're going to be good uh stay strong nova scotia strong we are going to be fine uh one guy that's going to lift my spirits i know for the next hour is steve lund steve is a nova scotia legend whether, whether you're talking about the hockey game whether you're talking about the acting game uh steve lund has done both in them going all the way back i guess we can start with steve's uh, hockey career Growing up here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, played for the Dartmouth Subways in the Major Midget Hockey League back in 2004-05, played one game for the Halifax Wolverines in Junior A, then in 2005-2006, going on to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, playing for the Prince Edward Island Rocket. After that year, in 2006-2007, he played half the season with PEI, then the other half with the Halifax Mooseheads. Then to 2007-2008, he was a full-time uh, Halifax Moosehead playing there for the whole year. And after that, he moved on into the acting scene. I'm really excited to talk about uh, Stephen and his decision to move into that art form. I remember he came to our high school cafeteria in high school because his mom was actually my principal. And I remember talking to this guy just for a little bit and just getting to getting to know him. And he was an interesting character back then. And I ended up playing golf with him this summer and he was still an interesting character uh, now. So really excited to talk to Steve on this podcast, pick his brain, uh, see how he's doing, see where the Canadian television, uh, see, we'll just see like what the, what the acting community is like right now in COVID. I just, I'm not sure what, what's going on with it. So I'm excited to talk to him. Uh, about that. I'm excited to talk to him about life in general. It's going to be a great episode. Steve Lund, I'm Justin. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. Mr. Lund, we are here. Thank you very much uh, for joining the High Button Podcast. I do appreciate it. 
Not sponsored by Moosehead Beer, but... Not quite, but uh, we're we're brand loyal, like I said. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. You know, yeah. I played I played for I was eight games in. Did you? Eight games in. Really? Eight games? That's wild, man. You know, a big part of my hockey success was your mom. She was my principal at Halifax West. And That's I right, academics yeah. wasn't a big part of my life growing up, and I definitely made some mistakes, and your mom had my ass. She, she covered me. She, she, uh, she covered me. She, uh, I mean, I, I hear these stories all the time. They can go one of two directions. Like your mother buried me and <laughs> ruined my life, or your mother got me out of a rut and, and put me on the straight and narrow. I was never really an, an academic myself, so she was able to, to rein me in when I needed it too. So, yeah, great woman. Great woman, yeah. great, great Chicky, woman. Chicky Lund. Chicky Lund, yeah, that's, that's what because my mom's friends with her. And okay, she's Chicky, yeah. who's Chicky? It's like your old principal. Yeah, <laughs> Chicky, it. Chicky, I like that. Um, so yeah, man, thank you for coming. I really do appreciate this. This Good is to be here, uh, man. this is uh, I feel like a long time coming. I remember hearing your name, you know, years ago, years ago, and uh, when you switched over to the the acting side of things, your your name kind of became a little bit more uh, of a headline of a profile like oh wow this guy can do both he's an athlete and he knows how to remember lines so maybe this guy's a little talented in both aspects of life so I remember back in those days your name was always coming up and your name was always recommended to come on the podcast so now that you're here it's, it's awesome to talk to you and I know we were together this summer playing yep, at yep. Osprey Ridge during that the was golf a blast. Oh, the boys man. were saying you could golf and you, you definitely hit the ball there pretty well <laughs> I hit it pretty well into the woods that day uh yeah it was not my best day uh, let the record show. I'm a lot better than that when the cameras aren't rolling. <laughs> but uh, no, that was a really fun day. Love that you guys put that together. That was that was perfect. I, I'd love to do more of that kind of stuff. Like it's fun. It's very popular these days. The like mic'd up cheap golf. content. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. You know, I mean that's uh, usually I. I <sighs> it's uh, like I said, I'm 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 better most days, but it's it's golf is so humbling and it's just worth catching those moments like it's just it's pure gold sometimes when you know yeah. you just fly off the handle and and uh it was nice to let the f-bombs fly because that's that's a typical round too yeah <laughs> and i heard you also play lacrosse uh yeah, yeah. i mean <clears throat> i played lacrosse for a stint but uh then i was kindly not so kindly uh, asked to uh to give up the sport for life basically because at the time i was a very large kid this is like when we were playing peewee and Bantam hockey and like I was, I don't know, a significant few inches taller than everyone else I was playing with. And I never really took lacrosse all that seriously. It was just something to do in the off season, And I was more so uh, a hockey player and was, was married to that sport. So I kind of didn't take it all that, that seriously and just went out there and was headhunting quite a bit. And uh, I injured a few kids to the point where they were like, all right, like, this is ridiculous. Like, you clearly don't care enough about this to, like, make it a legitimate outing for yourself. So just please just hang up the hang up the stick. I love that's a, a lot of kids from around here had that experience because it was popular for that like one maybe two years when it first came yeah. around. Yeah, and everyone just got a little taste of it, and you liked it, you liked it, you didn't, you didn't. And, yeah, some guys like really yeah. went on and had great careers in lacrosse, like even yeah. if, if if they weren't the best hockey players. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of guys like uh, Ted Mills, who was a terrible skater but a great lacrosse player. Do you know that guy scared the? Sh I remember I got called up to midget from Bantam. And he always Ted Mills, Ted Mills. He's always, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he has milk cartons for like shoulder pads. Like that was yeah. always a thing. <laughs> like just the toughest guy, tough as nails. First yeah. game getting called up to midget. The guy's fighting the team. But Ted uh, Mills, that's a that's a throwback. Yeah, game. it is yeah. no doubt. Yeah, we were best buddies back in the day, man. All those Halifax Hawks. 
a good squad. Tons and tons of good boys on that team that you all went to school with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, where did you go? QEH? I Q- went to QEH, yeah. We have to, yeah. like, as soon as I announced that you were coming on the podcast, our DMs were filled <laughs> with bring this up, bring this up, bring yeah. this up. So I, I hopefully I remember all of them, but we'll get to that. But I, I want to start back to, to your younger days and talk about the game of hockey and uh, mm-hmm. and who introduced it to you. Uh, did it come naturally to you? And uh, h- how did the, the I guess, the, the start of your hockey career turn out well uh my dad was a hockey player growing up in st john new brunswick home of uh, moosehead breweries as a matter of fact um so uh, he and his and his brothers played hockey forever um my earliest memories of of hockey were of going to the rink with him you know on wednesday nights at dalhousie arena and uh it was sort of like his night to to look after me and my mom had something else going on so as a babysitting tactic he would buy me a uh, big bag of nacho doritos and just send me up in the stands to eat the bag for for the hour and a half that it was or whatever and then he'd bring me in the dressing room and you know i'd uh, i'd meet all the guys i was very young at the time and it was uh, my first uh my first memory of seeing that many penises um but what it did for me is it it showed me the camaraderie of the game and it, you know my dad was always in there cracking jokes and really holding court in the room and he wasn't the best hockey player but he had a lot of scrap to him and he had a, a very heavy slap shot they called him uh, well they had a couple of different nicknames for him but uh one of them was uh Jonas Hoaglund remember that player <laughs> no wow he played for i think he played for the Leafs or the Canucks back in the day, but he was a puck hog, and so they called him Hoaglund. And uh, there was another one they called him High Hard and Wide because he'd take clappers all the time, just come nowhere near the net. So, um, so I, I was immediately thrust into playing hockey. I started skating when I was two years old, and I wouldn't say it came naturally to me. What did come naturally to me was size. Like I grew very fast. It was always the biggest one in my class. Yeah. So, and I'm a January birthday. That's good. So, yes, exactly. I have like 11 months on some of the other guys, so I was just that much bigger. Um, So, in novice, I remember I was living in Dartmouth at the time. In novice tryouts, I remember crying on the bench. I was playing forward at the time, and I was like, I'm never going to make this team. Like, my dad's going to disown me. And one of the coaches, he sort of sat me aside, and he was like, have you ever tried defense? And I was like, no, my dad, he was a centerman. Like, I always just assumed that I was going to be, like him, a goal scorer. So he tried me out on defense and novice, and I loved it. I was just that, I just had that mindset. I was just more defensive than I had a nose for the net. I was never a goal scorer, my stats could tell you. Um, I started to fill the net a little bit in Bantam because of that... uh, that famous slap shot that I inherited from my father, but was never a goal scorer. was much more of a goal preventer. So uh, uh, after novice AAA, I got my first kind of taste of rep hockey, and I just kind of ran with it then. I was able to get a lot more uh, better coaching and like more more reps, and I started to go to uh, Andrews Hockey School in Prince Edward Island. Yep. And that's where it all just sort of that's came into Sid place. That's what Sid said, too. He's like, that yeah. helped him out a lot, too. Definitely. And I actually was roommates with Sid when I was there my first year. No. Yeah, it's funny. Give me a story. So, yeah, my dad and I check into, uh, it was Slemon Park in Summerside. It's like an old uh, old army base there where they had the rink, and that's where the, the, the camp operated for a number of years. And so they they had us all staying in these dormitories, and my dad and I checked into my room, and my roommate hadn't, uh, he had already checked in, but he wasn't there at the time. 
And so me and my dad were snooping around and we looked into into the closet in there, like Raiders jackets and like Nova Scotia selects. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this guy's clearly pretty good. And then we saw a puffer there and we, saw, we read the name. It was like Sidney Crosby. And we both looked at each other and we're like, eh, never heard of him. Really, yeah. back then he didn't have a name. Yeah, no, exactly. No. He was like, well, I would have been 12, so he was like... Eight? No, he's two years older than me. Oh, he's older than 87, you. I'm an 89, yeah. So he... I don't know. Maybe he was 13 and I was 11. I think that's how it went. Okay. And I didn't see him until like late that night when he had just gotten off the ice after being on the ice for like 16 hours. He was like the instructor at the time and he just lived on the ice. And he was sitting there, like when I came in the room, he was sitting there just out of the shower on his bed, just panting. And I'm like, what's up, dude? And he's like, hey, man. You know, big smile on his face. Just a real kind of like dorky kind of guy and we didn't really get along that well i found he was like kind of boring and i was looking for something with a little bit more excitement so i actually asked to switch rooms did you? a different roommate yeah. well he was never there i was like this is, doesn't sound like fun he's you know a really nice guy of course like you know obviously we've watched him uh he's he's an ambassador for the sport not, not to mention uh an ambassador for our province but uh, not the most exciting guy. I'll yeah. go on record and say that, and yeah. I don't think anyone will re- refute it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll agree with you too. He's, yeah. he's the, you know, you know, he's, yeah. yeah, he's amazing. I'm I'm a huge fan of his. Love, love his work. Actually, watched him score a hat trick on on Friday. That was awesome. Um, Great shootout win the other day too. Yeah, so calm. Yeah. So, uh. oh. and I've seen him do that too. Like on the ice, just wait the goaltender out, pick a spot, fire it. Usually five hole. Um, but yeah, just money. Anyway, but not the most uh, exciting roommate to have at 11 years old when I'm I'm looking to turn up at uh, <laughs> you know, like you said I'm on vacation in PEI. <laughs> Let's go. He's there practicing a shootout move back then when he's 13 and yeah, that's, exactly. what, you know, that's 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 the born he's nature. He's dialed of him. in. Yeah, that's right. I mean that uh, that goes to show the difference between him and I. <laughs> hey, but you moved on and you played some high-level hockey. Going to the Dartmouth Subways and that's another area where um Excuse me, Sid played. Yes, yeah, he did. And I remember back then when I was younger. Do you want a tissue, by the way? I know it's cold down here. My apologies. No, I'm sure. Just, You're, if you need yeah. one, they're right there. Thanks, man. The nose could run down here. The heat bill. More right? likely to start crying, actually, <laughs> so it's good to have them handy. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, when I was younger, the Major Midget League had such a buzz about it. I remember names like Hum. You know, you remember names like Jared Grant. Uh, you know, Duffy was there. And, and even back when with, with Sid, maybe back then I didn't know too much about the league. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to see some of those games at the Dartmouth Sportsplex. Yeah. And, you know, 1,000, you know, maybe 700 people there. Yeah. And you're amazed by the, the level of skill of some of these mm-hmm. players, the, the physicality. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing, uh, you know, maybe it was Pee Wee, Bantam. I don't know what it was. And just being like, this is really a year's difference from where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching those Subway games and just being so impressed. And what was it like playing back in the day for, for the Nova Scotia Major Midget League and, and, and then the Subways? Did it have that effect on you being a player or maybe not so much? Certainly did. No, yeah, I went to those games as well. Uh, oh, did you? Okay. I, I saw Sid play back in the day. Um, we have a really good uh, connection to uh, uh, a guy that um, uh, he was very involved with the team. His name is Graham Owen, and he's actually uh, he's uh, uh, going through a round of uh, chemotherapy for a cancer that he has. So, wishing him the best of luck. He's he's quite a, a a name around the Dartmouth Subways organization. Always was, and uh, he he and. Uh, sorry, his son and I played minor hockey together. So he and knowing that he was affiliated with the Subways, 
he took our novice AAA Dartmouth Whalers team into the Subway's dressing room to sort of do a little one-on-one bonding with uh, an older player. So we're, you know, 10 or 11, and these guys are 16, 17. Like, we're looking up to them like they're gods. And uh, so we got to see, you know, the, the, the facility that they had, and they were so cool. And I remember one of the guys, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, my goodness. God, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, but he introduced me to the Beastie Boys, and I like went out and bought the Beastie Boys <laughs> CD. After that, like it was a very pivotal, uh, pivotal moment in my in my life where I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is where I want to play." Um, so that was a goal of mine for the, for the next few years until it actually became a reality. Um, storied franchise. We had uh, Brad Crosley as our coach, and he was you know the coach coming out of Nova Scotia. He's the guy that you wanted to be with. Um, and he had a had a massive influence on me as a person and a hockey player. Um, so when uh, our team was stacked that year too, like we had we had Jeff Hum, we had Blake Gallagher, who was I think pound for pound one of the best hockey products of Nova Scotia. It's just a shame that he kind of came up when he did before things started to change in the game, and there's now a lot shorter, smaller players. This guy was like just a few inches shy of being recognized as like a top tier talent. It's really the only knock against him that you could say. Otherwise, it was an amazing player. Um, but what an experience. Just, you know, filling that barn every night. We went like 30, 36 and 6, I think, that year. It was wicked. Just domination. We lost in the Atlantic finals, tragically, but uh, what an incredible year of hockey for me. Um, yeah, can't say enough about that organization. Just loved it. Wow. Yeah. I kind of jumped the gun going all the way to major midget because I heard a story about you and Bantam. Um, <laughs> you played Halifax Bantam AAA, correct? Yeah, yeah. I moved uh, second year of Adam. So I was 12 years old, moved to Halifax from Dartmouth. So I heard a story. You were uh, at a tournament somewhere. I don't know where. And, you know, tor- you know what tournament food is. Subway, chili, yeah, hot dogs, Mario's, whatever yeah, you can yeah. get. And yeah. I heard a story about you. It was I don't know. It was just I don't know if it was a final, semifinals, whatever. But you guys went out to eat somewhere, and everyone, you know, they had what they had—nachos, chicken. They got whatever, and you got a bowl of fruit. And <laughs> the guy who told me this is like the one thing about Lund that always caught my eye was the discipline the guy had when he was so young. Yeah. When most guys are in like band and whatever, they're just gonna have a slice of pizza and go play a game. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Right. But you were kind of stood out because you just had a little bit more discipline and you knew. I guess ways to make your performance better in the game of hockey, and you had a bowl of fruit, and then that obviously can help you. Yeah, Where I did th- that discipline come from? I think the bowl of fruit was probably a bad idea because I ended up <laughs> shitting my pants during the game. But uh, uh, no, um, yeah, like I was, I was brought up to believe that I could do anything that I wanted. I guess is the easiest way to put that. Who and put that in you, though? That was my parents for okay. sure. You know, like uh, they instilled that in me, and uh, you know, it's a it's a cliche kind of uh, uh, thing, but I really took it to heart, and uh, it just I don't know. Leadership came pretty naturally to me. I just sort of was able to identify like this is what you need to do to succeed, and just stick with that. So, you know, in Bantam, you're 14, 15 years old. And uh, at that point here in Halifax, you know, I, I, I can't speak to other places in the world, but like you're going out drinking on the weekends a lot of the time. 
and uh, I wasn't doing that so much. Like I was, I was kind of hanging back, or I'd go out and and not drink. You know, there were like a few omissions that I made in life, in terms of lifestyle, to prioritize my hockey career. I was very serious about it, you know, um, and I, and I knew that the goal was to make the NHL, and that was just I had a one track mind in that regard. You know, I was just going for it. Uh, doing everything I needed to to get there and you know little things like eating properly and training a lot and you know saying no to the indulgences that a lot of my peers were were uh, getting into at that time Um, and uh, yeah I just I liked the responsibility I liked being the captain I liked being the go-to guy I really uh, I really thrived in that environment so uh, setting an example whether it be on the ice or you know uh, giving a motivational speech that was like a big thing back in the day you know before every game I'd have something different prepared and uh, you know it was it was really off the cuff I, I didn't I didn't I didn't prepare necessarily but uh, you know I knew that just before every game I was going to have to give some sort of motivational you know hype up rah rah kind of uh, uh, of speech and that uh, became a routine with the the core group of players that we went up, came up through in the Halifax Hawks organization that put a lot of banners in that centennial arena yeah a hundred percent well said yeah Halifax Hawks it's it's, it's a franchised uh, it's a franchised organization they they they, they uh they definitely have a name for themselves. There's some been, did you go to the Quebec PB tournament by any chance? We didn't. We no, we went to some other one, I think. Or maybe we did. I can't remember. Jesus, it's a long time ago now. I feel like yeah, I think we may have. There was there was two. There was one in Quebec and then one somewhere else. Yeah. I can't remember exactly now, but uh but yeah, jeez. Those are the days. <laughs> well, I remember, like, it's cool how you say, look, back then, you're like, yeah, I, I love getting up in front of the boys and giving a little speech, which kind of mm-hmm. comes full circle to what your career is now. And not, I don't say, you're not acting when you're giving those speeches. It's from the heart. Right. You're, 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 right. you're telling the boys how you feel. Mm-hmm. But back then, was there anything in your mind? So, bam, how old would you have been? Thir- 14. 14. Yeah. So, 13, was there, 14. like, you know, you're done that speech. You're like, yeah, I was pretty good at that. You, ever, <laughs> you know, is there anything that clicked back then? It, it wasn't so clear to me then. Uh, but it's funny. I was I was playing in a league recently, just before our most recent shutdown, uh, with a former Halifax Hawks uh, alumnus, Scott Terrio. Scott. And I'm sitting next to him in the dressing room, and the the guy that runs their team. He's an older guy in his fifties, and uh, we were meeting for the first time. And he comes up to me. We're just you know taking the taking the pads off and. And he's like, so how did you how did you get into acting? It's a it's a question I've gotten uh, a number of times, obviously. And so I, I was about to say something, and Scott intervened. And he goes, "If you ever saw him in the dressing room before one of our games, you wouldn't be asking that question." <laughs> Man, I wish I would have seen like, one. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. They were they were hilarious. They, you know. Uh, but were you thinking it? But were you thinking, "Wow, so I'm l- good at this"? I, I it didn't. Like like I said, it didn't really become clear to me or click for me until quite a few years later. But all of those accumulated experiences, just like performing in general is just in my genetics, I think. If you ever met my father and, you know, you knew his family, uh, they're joke tellers, storytellers. You know, my grandfather, God rest him, was uh, he was uh, the head of radiology in New Brunswick. And uh, I remember going through to the hospital with him to get an MRI, actually, uh, um, we'll, we'll get to the, the injuries later, I'm sure. But uh, he's the kind of guy that would stop every single person that he encountered and tell them a separate 
different joke. And so it took us like 20 minutes to get, I don't know, 200 meters because every time we ran into somebody, you know, without provocation, he would just launch right into a storyline and, and just send the person laughing on their way. Um, so it's, it's, it's in my blood. You know, I watched my, my father grow up and they were always hosting parties and he was always holding court and, you know, pulling pranks and making people laugh. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a salesman that would go on these, uh, go to these big conferences and he'd be up there at a podium and he'd be telling jokes, you know, in front of like hundreds of people and they're losing it laughing. And, and I really, I really took to that. I really admired that. And I, uh, I, I just thought I'd carry the torch in a way, but I never really figured it out until I was about 18, I guess, is when I started to encounter concussion problems playing hockey. I was with the Mooseheads at the time, and uh, it was looking like I should probably you know, make a career change or start thinking about doing something that, uh, that was safer for myself because I had racked up a number of concussions in a single year, and... I was just, I was falling out of love with the game, you know, just kind of a little lost. And uh, I got to talking to some very close friends of mine. And I brought up the idea that I had, even before I started playing like rep hockey, like back to those those novice days when I got so big and I learned how to take a slap shot. That was what got me into rep hockey. And then the rest was like the hard work that you put in and and, and whatever. But before hockey became a real option I was interested in acting my family put me into these acting classes at Neptune Theater here in Halifax and I did a couple of auditions for commercials and that sort of thing so it was like I was becoming an actor until I reached a certain point as a kid where it's like no one else none of my none of my friends are doing this they're all playing sports so there wasn't an avenue to take at that age hockey took over and then once hockey was looking like it was probably going to be over, uh, I came back to that dream. Just on a whim, kind of started, you know, surveying my friends, being like, what do you think if I were to do this? Like, do you think that's a viable option for me? And the response I had was overwhelmingly positive. Everyone was just like, yes. You're looking oh for their God. validation almost. Like, yeah. Just to make yourself feel. Okay, yeah. yeah <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, and yeah. what I recognized in their eyes as they were looking back at me, they lit up and they were like, that's perfect. Yeah. You are definitely somebody I could see going on and, and, and doing that sort of thing. It came naturally to me in their eyes. So that vote of confidence was very important for me. And I just started to ruminate more and more about it. And uh, I had a lot of conversations with my parents at the time, um, mainly my mother, who was very supportive of do whatever you want, you know, like if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. You know, we're, we're very concerned about your brain at this point. So I understand why you're thinking differently. And I had had a few bouts of depression during my junior days. Um, so, you know, they could identify that my, my heart was broken a little bit and I needed something to, to pick me up. And maybe that was a, a total radical change of lifestyle and careers. Um, so her and I got to chatting. We were sort of researching different schools. She said, if you're going to do it, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn, you know, how to do it properly. Uh, we found a school in Vancouver that was like an acting for film and television specific program. And um, I shipped off, like, I, 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 within about a month, I had made the decision to quit hockey. And so I, like, instead of showing up for training camp in September with the Halifax Mooseheads, 
I was on a plane on my way to Vancouver, enrolled at Vancouver Film School. Dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. you think about that. I left them high and dry. You think about that decision, how, like, especially from around here, the kid that grew up in Halifax yeah. dreams of playing for the Mooseheads yep. and then makes that decision to go, you know what, no, it's my turn to go chase something else that I want. Yeah. It's just, like, talking about it, it seems just absolutely insane. And it was at the you time. You know? Like, it was, yeah. You know, I don't know if the kids around here like, do anything to play for the Mooseheads. And yeah. that's that's... And that wow, you felt that strongly that you you could achieve something else. That's, I, that's unbelievable. Man. I did, yeah. It was unheard of, you know. Unheard like, of, yes. Yeah, like uh, I I didn't know anyone else that had, had you know, um, pers- that had pursued that path before. So I was very different from around here. Two kids are yeah acting. What? Yeah, like, around here. Yeah, it's like what? Yeah, how, how do you like you know give up on hockey? Like I've I've used the uh, the analogy that. Uh, quitting hockey is kind of like getting out of the mafia. <laughs> you know, like it's hard to do. It's... Like you can't just give up. Like most guys that are, you know, players that that play a serious level of hockey, they they pursue it until its end, right? They go all the way to, you know, playing in the minor leagues or whatever. Like it's it's hard to just give up, especially when things are like, you know, at their peak, so it would seem. You know, and I... Uh, I had the the unfortunate situation with the brain injuries. Like I could have possibly, you know, let myself heal and and you know gotten back into hockey. But like I said, my heart wasn't in it at that time, and I could have pursued it for other people, you know, to appease what I thought my parents would have wanted, which wasn't the case. Thankfully, they were very supportive. But uh, I, I'm sure not a lot of of players who would have been in the same situation would have had the same support that I did so I'm very grateful that I did and that was what enabled me to make that that radical change what fascinates me about that whole thing is that you know playing for the Mooseheads and being a junior player life is comfortable life is very good you know <laughs> yeah. you're you're an all-star around here you yeah you talk to a girl hey how you doing I don't Steve <laughs> how are you doing what's the you know your life is very very yeah, very good yeah, here and you're yeah. comfortable and for you to go now nah, I'm gonna go out west on a plane and pursue yeah. something else that yeah. I, you you talk to a thousand people around here. No one's mm-hmm. gonna. No one will make that decision. No one. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I what what I hope uh, is that you know my my story, if it ever reaches the, the right person, will help them perhaps be inspired to do something similar if they find themselves in a in a similar position, especially if they're encountering injuries that could potentially lead to mm-hmm. you know uh, a lifelong disability. Uh, we were talking about really, you know, the culture of hockey is, you know, rub some dirt on it, get back out there. You know, that's definitely changing and it has started to change. I think when I was encountering my head injuries is when I started to notice a shift mm-hmm. that they were, they were paying more attention to it. But that year I was too nervous to say anything. I was not reporting my symptoms. So I was going back into the game thinking, you know, I, I have to make the NHL. Like that's the only goal. I have to. I have to get back out there and and prove my my worth and show the scouts that I'm still of value. Um, but there was a moment where uh, I had a neck injury that was causing my whole body to go numb every time I put my head down, and I was Ugh. like, "This is really scary." And I was about to go out on the ice for a game at home when I came to the trainers and I was kind of, I was crying about it because I was like, I'm, I'm nervous to report this. This could be really bad. But 
uh, this has been going on for like a month now, and uh, I'm I'm scared to go out there. And it was reflecting in my play too. Like you know, if you're not comfortable and confident, you're. I was turning the puck over. I was hearing yeah. footsteps. You know, I just couldn't go in the corners confidently. That sort of thing. Especially in the queue back then. The queue back then is not the queue now. It's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the kind the, the kind of style of play that I had too. It was just uh, you know I was I had no identity out there. I was I just felt like a ghost. Um. So yeah, it was uh, it was a decision that I feel very proud of now. I was nervous about it at the time, but uh, you know, if if you're a kid out there who's playing hockey but doesn't feel like their heart and soul is in it, or they're concerned about recurring head injuries or, or any kind of other nagging injury, you know, my my message is always that there are options out there. You know, hockey isn't the end all be all. It's great. We love it. I'm I'm very happy that I pursued hockey to the to the lengths that I did. It taught me a lot about leadership. You know how to work in, in a team aspect, which has lent those those skills have transferred over seamlessly into my my work on set. So I can see the entire uh, you know uh, collaborative working in in real time, and I can identify if there's you know, miscommunications happening. So I, I take on that leadership role as the, the actor on set. Um, I'm very perceptive of these things because of my time as a hockey player, being aware of every single player on the team. Um, so, uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're somebody that, uh, grew up in a small town where hockey is like, you know, it's the peak of success in a lot of people's minds, or any other sport for that matter, um, make sure you're always doing it for yourself and that you're still finding the joy every day because that was lost on me. And I powered through it thinking that I had to until I reached a certain point where uh, I didn't have a whole lot of option if I was to consider my health. And I think I made a a really, really good choice. I'm very happy with my life now and you know, it's. I'm still very married to the game. I love hockey. I was, you know, playing pond hockey yesterday. Probably going to go out there today. Yeah. You know, watch a lot of it still, um, and uh, I'm happy to support the game uh, in all areas. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are definitely options. It's awesome. Yeah. That's a good message for young kids mm-hmm. out there for sure. Yeah. I like how. I, I just really like your, your your analogy with leadership and how you were raised by your parents and how you're not afraid to kind of be an outsider and, and do your own thing. I think that. Well, I think that's what helped you make the decision. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that helped you make the decision to to leave the game of hockey and and, and pursue something else. Because if you wanted to be the guy that you know was cool, just kept playing hockey, kept doing this, you just mm-hmm. would have stayed. But mm-hmm. you said, no, I'm going to do what's right for me, even though it's against everyone's you know popular opinion. I'm going to go and do something else, and that's a brave thing to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and all credit goes to my my family and and supportive uh, community who uh, who nurtured that in me mm. and. Uh, I know not everybody has the benefit of that, but um, you know, I I, uh, I I always knew that I was kind of a, a sheep in wolf's clothing. That I was kind of walking the walk and talking the talk. You know, I did love hockey, but there were aspects of it that I liked more than the pressure or the you know the the game itself. Even like, I, I I liked that camaraderie. I liked. The storytelling, you know, I would I would hold court in that dressing room, and those were my moments where I felt most alive. And being that go-to guy, having that responsibility, that was what it was all about for me. So, mm. yeah. Um, and again, those skills they transferred over really well. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember when we were golfing at Osprey, 
you, it was it was the first time ever meeting you and uh you know you're, you're you're a popular guy around here even if people know you or don't know you you just hear stories about you and then things you've done in your life and uh i was really amazed about how we weren't even in a room we were at a golf course but you knew how to you had an energy about you that kind of controlled the group like you know if you walk into a room i feel like you're a guy that just controls your energy and controls the room and there was probably what like seven people there and you kind of set the tone off the first tee for where the video was going to go yeah. and i was like that's the guy that acts for a living that knows how to read other people's energy and pursues his own energy on the group and everything was just kind of set from there and i thought that was really interesting about you when cool, when yeah. i first met you and to hear what you're talking about now mm -hmm. about how when you're younger and no i love the room i love the boys i love the stories yeah, i love yeah. holding court it's like everything's kind of just coming full circle about your personal personality and how i don't know you've turned it into a career of acting so i think that's that, that's really cool that's man. awesome that, that's I, really cool i appreciate you uh you mentioning that and i'm touched that you identified that too 100 oh, something I, I i take great pride in just sort of yeah reading the energy reading the room mm. you know um no being calculated in, in not in uh, not in an uh, uh disingenuous kind of way you know really just wanting the day to go well you know yeah. like uh, you know making sure things go smoothly and i i have that uh that's the kind of dynamic in my family as well i'm sort of that that uh that that person that can facilitate a conversation between two people who don't necessarily uh you know who who can't communicate for whatever reason you know i think uh i think i'm an arbitrator at at, at on some level where i can you know bring people together or, you know, make sure this person is comfortable or make sure that they feel like they're, they're being paid attention to. Mm. Um, yeah, and, that's a good word. I yeah. Hate it. Yeah. yeah like, that's I, like, I like that. Yeah. Even, even amidst, uh, a lot of goings on or, or, you know, with the cameras rolling and stuff, I think honing into a personal moment and, and really connecting with somebody is something that, uh, it, it was something that I knew I had and that I could, translate into on-camera work cool. i knew that uh yeah being able to hone into a single conversation and, and make that person feel like they were being listened to mm. um that's uh that's something like i said i take great pride in so okay. thanks for saying that no worries man yeah. um so a little bit about myself. I actually lived in Vancouver. Oh, here for we a go. Bit. A little bit like oh, okay. enough about you here. Yeah, uh, this is my part. No, so I uh, I lived in Vancouver for two a year and a half. Okay, year yeah. and three quarters, yeah. and uh, I did some. Uh, background acting work no way you get paid great money doing background acting work <laughs> yeah. it's kind of cool and i dabbled a little yeah. bit in like the remembering lines and trying to get roles thing that never really became successful i didn't know that yeah okay. I, I gave a shot i lived in la for a bit too it was tough to get work because i was a canadian citizen and yeah no, it's impossible yeah possible yeah. but um i did it for a bit and i wasn't a huge fan of the the, the, like don't I wasn't a huge fan of the personalities that I was like dealing with every day. Oh. There were some people that were just full of themselves. There yeah. were some people that were really hard to talk to. And, and with acting and background acting, at least there's a lot of waiting around and talking to people who I don't know and necessarily care about. Exactly, <laughs> but they're telling me their yeah. life story, who their mom is, and stuff. And they're like, right, relax. <laughs> so that was always tough for me, and that kind of not. I'm not going to use the excuse that I gave up on acting because that was the thing. I just didn't truly love it. But I yep. always found that was a thing that turned me away from it. Yeah. And you coming from the Maritimes and you're, you're, you're a great guy, you're personal, you know how to talk to someone, you genuinely care about people. Mm -hmm. Going into that acting environment, how did you deal with maybe personalities like that? That's a good question. And I've done some background work too. I actually... I did some here in Halifax before I, I went to, to Vancouver Film School just sort of kind of get a vibe of the set. And after doing background work, I was like, yeah, I'm never doing this again. This is not what I want to do. I want to be, 
you know, in front of the camera. I want to, yeah. Because yeah. um, a lot of waiting around, like you said, and you know, it's I, I want it to be the focal point. I want it to be more important. I guess is the easiest way to put it. Um, but, and it's funny you mentioned LA because I, you know, I've been acting now for was it eleven years? You have forty one credits on an IMDb. Is that is that all? Two thousand should be a lot higher. <laughs> um, so. I, uh, you know, I've lived in Vancouver for two years, Toronto for 10, and I've made countless trips down to LA. I think I've been down there like 10 or 12 times, you know, for different reasons and for months at a time. And there is, just let me tell you, there's a very good reason that I live in Halifax and not Los Angeles. I just, I couldn't do it. You know, I, uh, I think I I sound like a broken record if you know people have ever heard me talk about how much I dislike LA. It's the land of broken dreams, you know. There are just so many people there vying for such a coveted few positions. Uh, you know, being employed down there is is such a rat race at all. Um, I just feel like it's the kind of place that forces you to big up yourself in order to stay competitive, and it just breeds a lot of dishonesty. I just found that people were fake, very lying funny. to each other, lying to each other to their faces. It's un- it's unbelievable. I know this guy was going to do this for me. I know yeah, then. Just... Yeah, yeah, it, it's a joke. I couldn't stand it, man. Like, and every time I'm down there, I just I'm running. Like, and it's t- time to leave. I'm running out of there. Like, get me the fuck out of this goddamn place. I hate it here. Um, so that was never like that was never of interest to me. I I always wanted to focus on the craft itself. And then keep my friend group and my immediate circle uh, very normal, very, you know, real, kind of having having different jobs. Some of them creative, some of them not, you know, just having a circle of, of people around me that I could relate to on a very human level and not be inundated by the industry or who's who or like, you know, rubbing elbows or going to these like, you know, schmoozy events is just never my thing. Or even presenting myself uh, on social media as somebody who's there for anyone else but myself. I, I really not, I'm not trying to pander to anybody. Um, and that's helped keep my, my head level rather than, you know, um, become desperate or you know just to uh, picture in front of a ferrari just to get the recognition just i I never wanted to be somebody who was grasping for something that was intangible you know i just wanted to be living my own life on my own terms and going about this in the way that i feel most comfortable and that uh that meant not being in la i think for for many reasons that I'm very grateful for. You know, I'm I'm back here living in Halifax and and loving it in so many ways. Just like the community, having my friends and family around, just keeping me grounded and, you know, getting back to my my roots, uh, you know, in the in the simplest form of just just being a good honest person and, you know, not uh not chasing something that doesn't feel within my grasp. I guess is is the way that I would put it. So, what's the most rewarding thing about your job? <sighs> I played a lot of hockey as you know, as we've talked about. And, you know, the recognition that you get for something you do on the ice, it, 
it usually amounts to a tap on the ass or a mm-hmm. hit on the head or a fist bump or something like that. The feeling that you get when you know you did a good job and you bared your soul and you showed your heart in front of the camera when you needed to at a moment's notice, all the preparation, all of the work that you've done to get yourself to a good spot mentally and physically, and you know that you delivered, and you see that recognition from the director, the producer, the writer, your scene partner, that is the high that I will chase for the rest of my life. Really? Yes. Fuck, that's so well it's, put. And it's really that moment. That's the only thing that I'm interested in. Everything else is just, uh, you know, it just comes with the territory. It's not really of interest to me. I don't want to be famous. That's not something that I've ever declared that I was pursuing. I never said that I wanted to be a famous actor. I always said that I just wanted to be an actor because that moment is the greatest payoff I've ever had. And I remember when I first felt it, I was, well, I guess I was 18 or 19 at the time playing for the Mooseheads. It was in the off season. And this is around the time that I was, you know, talking to those people in my life, my, my mother most namely, about whether or not I should become an actor. And she goes, well, let's see if you got what it takes, basically. And I was like, uh, uh, okay, what do you mean? Like, do you want me to? I'm going to do something like right here, right now. She said, no, obviously not. We're going to get you an audition for something that's filming locally, and you're going to go in the room and, yeah, give it a shot. And, and you know, if you if you like it, great. If you don't, then we'll know. Okay. Right? So I was like, very good plan, Chicky. <laughs> so we contacted this family friend, Valerie Hallman, who works for Magic Rock Productions here in, in Nova Scotia. They do a lot of, of things. They are actually just shooting a, an American sci-fi TV show out in Beaverbank this past season. Okay, uh, they've done movies and television in Halifax for for twenty plus years. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, connected person who's also a family friend. So we get in touch with her. She gets me an audition for this coming of age like indie movie that's shooting in in Halifax that year. And I'm working at the hospital at the time. This is like July. Uh, as a porter. So I'm like carrying patients around, transferring like blood samples, oh, and like running do- around doing all the odd jobs that need doing in the hospital. Great gig. Loved that so much. Um, and so there was an audition that was happening on South Park Street, and I was at the, the Halifax Infirmary, so right across the street. So I show up in my scrubs, <laughs> and you know, it's in a dark room. Uh, like I can't see anybody. There's like one spotlight in a corner and a camera set up, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and somebody comes and greets me, and they're like, hello, Stephen. Like, welcome to like the audition. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. <laughs> and uh, so they sit me down in the chair and basically just say action, and I'm like, ah, uh, I freeze, and I'm like, uh, right. Um, and I go into the scene, do the scene, and they call cut. And again, I can't see anybody. Like the lights in my face, and I know there's like a panel of people back there, but they're in the shadows. I don't know what the hell's going on. And then this guy gets up, and I can see the glint off of his like balding head. And he comes closer to me. He's a small little man, and he and he looks up at me, and he goes, "Who are you?" And I was like, um, "My name is Stephen London. I'm from Halifax, and uh, I just got here from work." And uh... but like you know, as I told this story before. <laughs> As this like is happening in real time, quickly in my mind, I'm going like, oh my god, like I, I'm gonna get this role. 
I'm going to get my first role that I ever auditioned for. And I'm just thinking ahead like, damn, that's going to make for a hell of an A&E biography yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, have you ever done this before? And I was like, no, not since I played uh, one of the hyenas in The Lion King in grade three or grade four. Uh, I went to Shannon Park Elementary School in Dartmouth, and we had this great drama teacher who did uh, a rendition of The Lion King. This is back when I thought I was going to be an actor before I started playing hockey. And uh, and that was a great thrill of mine that I had kind of forgotten about until all of this stuff was coming up. And I was like, yeah, I stole the show once uh, in grade four, but other than that, no, I've just been busy taking slap shots and missing the net since <sighs> then. And he goes, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you home with some notes. And I want you to come back here tomorrow. Do we have a time for him tomorrow? And they're like, yeah, yeah. How does 12 o'clock? I'm like, yeah, 12 o'clock, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Break. And then we'll do that. And then I'll book the, and then we'll make the movie. And, and then we'll just go straight to the top. You and me, baby. And uh, he's like, okay, come back tomorrow. Yada, yada. So I went home and I studied and I applied the notes as best I could. You know, I started seeing the script in a different way. And I was just like, oh, man, this is sick. This role is for me. And I come back the next day. And he's working with me a little bit. And then they call action. I do the scene. And it feels so much better. I just feel like I'm crushing this. Like, we're really there. Like, I'm living in a moment that is is make-believe but feels very real. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. Holy crap. Like, this is it. We're doing it. And after the scene is done, calls cut. And then the same guy emerges from the shadows again with his hands open like this. And he goes... Do you feel that? And I was like, I'm just freaking out. I got goosebumps all over my body. I still do just thinking about that moment again. And I'm like, wow, oh my God. I've never felt more validated in my all of my years playing hockey than what this man just did for me right now. And he goes, that is amazing. Like, look how much better you did in just that one day. And I was like, holy shit. And he goes, now obviously I can't give you this role because you've never done anything before in your life. And I was like... Right, right, obviously. Of course, I knew that the whole time. Back to the hospital pushing people. Yeah, <laughs> shit, didn't get this one. But he goes, are, are you thinking about doing this? And I was like, to be honest, like, yeah, like me and my mom have been, been talking and like uh, we've been looking at this this school out in Vancouver. It's a, it's a, it's a film school for, for television and, and film, or acting school for film and television. He just puts his hands on my shoulders and he goes, go west, my son. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And I just sprinted home like like oh, a grown man just like, God. you know, Judd Nelsoning like, from the end of Breakfast Club, just like punching the air. I was just like, yeah, this is the greatest feeling I've ever had. And I ran home. I busted down the door. I was like, Mom, I didn't get the role, but I can do this. And she's like, all right, let's go. And we applied for Vancouver Film School right then and there, and I shipped off a month later. Get the fuck yeah, out. That yeah. is a crazy Jay story. Dahl is his name. Jay Dahl. Jay Dahl. Go D-A- West, my D-A-H-L. Um, Yeah, I've told this story a, a couple of times before, but I haven't run into him since that day. I think he still works here in Nova Scotia. That is crazy. Yeah, that what is, a line. Go yeah. West, my son. Go West, my son. Have you heard in the song? Maybe he didn't say that, and that's just how I remember it. No, he it, said but that. No, no, just, let's uh, keep it like you're that. Right. Go he West. Said, he said he definitely said that. That's cool. That's that's an unbelievable story. Yeah. Have you ever heard the song uh, "California" by Led Zeppelin? 
going to California. About six thousand times. Yeah, yeah. That's a. Yeah, that's my favorite band. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. No way, yeah, yeah. dude. Their documentary, not documentary, but when they play at Madison Square Garden, yeah. and at the very end, yeah. when they go back in the limo, they jump on their plane and. Yeah, Pegasus. Yeah. Is that what the plane was called, Pegasus? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Anyway, when I went out west. Yeah, I heard that uh, song "California" by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and then, what's a flight out west? Four, five hours. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably. I probably listened to that song for like three hours of the whole. That's just, awesome. Just, yeah, yeah. It just yeah. sets the tone for dreams out west. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. crazy. And that's what they wrote it about. Like yeah. they loved going to California and playing there. They were welcome with open arms there every every time. Um, yeah, and it was a different vibe to it, for sure. California, uh, California is different than L.A. But it's the same meaning, you know. Yeah, going yeah. to Vancouver wouldn't have sound cool. The song, it, just okay. the, going to Vancouver, Vancouver with the sunset on oh, my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. Um, you ever seen the movie uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. And remember yeah. when Leo finishes that scene with the girl, and the girl comes up to him and whispers, "That was, that the, was best the best." Thing. That's yeah. what I'm kind of picturing yeah. with you when you're like, "That's what I'm looking for." Yeah, That's it wasn't of, the best acting that they had ever seen, but it was the best acting that i had ever done up until that point yeah. but like when i ask you like what's the thing is, you're looking what's the most rewarding thing it's like it. i kind of feel like that's that's that moment that, that recognition that's, moment. that's it you know i to hell with anything else i don't even care if it makes the television i don't watch a lot of my stuff i don't i don't really care i don't do it for any anything else but that moment i love that shit mm. i love being on set and walking off you know feeling the pats on the back knowing that like we had a big day to get through and you nailed it. And we only made the day because you were prepared and you knew all of your fucking lines inside and out and you hit your mark and you said your piece. Yeah, I'm definitely not the greatest actor. That's for sure. Mm. Maybe someday I'll get there, but I'll be pursuing it the rest of my life. There is no end goal for me. There is no, you know, uh, sitting back or resting on your laurels or anything like that because all I'm focused on is that moment with my scene partner. Cool. And that was something that was drilled into me at that film school, and I really took that to heart. You know, I, I remember on day one, I'm there. There's like 35, 40 other people in this uh, auditorium, and they're giving a they're giving um, an orientation speech. The head of the the program, and he's looking out, and he's like, you know, I see all of you ambitious faces, and your eyes looking up at me. And the reality of the of the matter is. In five, six years' time, one, maybe two of you will be working professional actors. And I remember looking out at all of those faces and just being like, oh, no, you just wasted 30 grand on this because it's going to be me. I'm going to be <laughs> There was no doubt in my mind. Like, I just wasn't there to fuck around. Like, this was something that I was, I was going to make happen for myself one way or another. Um, yeah, anyway. Does the confidence of playing hockey when you were younger, even the Mooseheads, whatever, the leadership ability, does that give you the confidence almost to like knock on someone's trailer who you're about to do a scene with and be like, come on, let's go over lines? Because I feel like that's not like a common, it might be a common thing, but yeah. I feel like a lot of actors like, I know the line, my partner will know the line, but he said you're, you're looking for chemistry with the person you're working with. Well, here's, here's you're, the thing, like you, you pointed out like my ability to read the room, yeah. you know, and I think, uh, I don't really consider myself to be a selfish person, but I think in order to be good, you need to listen. You know, I'm talking about uh, technically as an actor, like the, the things you need to possess are the ability to listen to your scene partner. So, you know, you're you're not just looking back at them with blank eyes and you're thinking about your next your line. line. You're, you're taking it in, what they're saying. 
but that ability to read the room, like you said. So some people, they have a different process, you know, what is necessary for them to get to that place of, you know, openness and preparedness is for them to do their own thing. So you don't go up to them and say, hey, can we go over these lines? If that, if you know that that's not what they need. Interesting. Now, the, the hazard of that is that I don't, I am so considerate of my scene partner, of everybody else on the set, that sometimes I don't own my own moments or ask for the things that I need. And so that unselfishness that, that comes from playing hockey and being on those teams and you know doing whatever is necessary to make the team win, not for the personal accolades, can sometimes be a hindrance to me as a performer. So I know that I really lent myself to my scene partner and everybody else but my performance might fall a little flat because of that, because I'm showing up so much more for them. And I'm so cognizant of that. I'm, I'm very, you know, that is sort of my MO when I'm on set. I want to be that very accommodating actor who isn't selfish, who can do anything that you need me to. Anything you need, I will give it to you. But can that hurt you, though? It, yeah, it can, I think. You know, I think uh, a lot of the time I'm working with people and in the moment, on the day is the term that they use. So on the day, in that moment, I'm thinking, God, they're not even listening to me. They're not, you know, like, and I think my performance falls flat because of that. Mm. And then I watch it back and their performance is so captivating. Whereas I thought like I was pissed off that day because I didn't feel like there was very much of a Mm -hmm. connection, but they were focused on themselves. They knew what they needed to do to bring their best performance out. Whereas I think I'm a little bit too conscious of what it would take for the other person rather than owning my own moments, I guess. So there's yeah. there's a balance I got there you. that you got to strike. Remember yeah. when um, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci met in the desert at Casino? Casino, And yeah. Joe Pesci always says, the reason that scene is so great is because Robert De Niro let me be great. You know, right. Robert De Niro is an amazing actor. He does incredible yep. things. Yep. He's been in incredible movies. But Joe Pesci, he's no you know, fart in the wind. He's a good guy. He's a great actor. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, the reason that scene was so great is because Robert De Niro stepped down and let me... Yeah. So kind of like, that's kind of what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think like so, you, yeah. Like you don't mind... Yeah, okay. I think there's okay. there's a... As you can attest to, being in LA, there's a lot of ego Yeah. Uh, when it comes to this industry. A lot of people thinking that they should be the one. They are the best, you know what I mean? And you need to have thick skin, so ego can certainly help you to a degree. But um, egos can get in the way of a good product as a whole. And so I've, you know, tried to dissolve my ego as best as possible um, uh, on set and and let it just get to the level it needs to by any means necessary. However, there are instances where I haven't taken enough of what I need. And therefore, what I see, the final, when I see the final product, I can tell exactly what I'm doing and it falls flat. Cool. So I'm, I'm reconciling with that and trying to get better at that every time I get the opportunity to do so, mm. which in this industry is, is unfortunately seldom. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard out there. Yeah. Yeah. What um, characteristic traits do you look for in an agent? Well, I've had the same agent, God love her, for 10 years now. Oh, no what? Yeah. Amanda Rosenthal. She's amazing. Uh, Sorry, are you good? Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah keep going. Yeah. Um, she uh, she's a wonderful human being. What I look for in an agent is a friend, a personal friend. And I told her that from day one. So friendship first, business second. Friendship first, yes, definitely. I, I think they need to know who I am and and uh, what I need and what I want, and also be able to shoot the shit with me, 
Uh, this is like one of my closest friends. And, you know, she's, she's, she's like 10 years older than me. So it's, you know, not a, a, a severe disparity there. Um, so we have a lot in common still, you know, uh, we can sit down for dinner and talk about 10 other things before we, the topic of my career is ever even brought up. Um, and that's something that I've always considered a value personally. That's not always the case for a lot of people. They need, you know, a real shark. They need somebody who's straight business, just not going to bullshit them. You know, she's not going to bullshit me. She'll listen to everything that I have to say and be very accommodating because we have that personal connection. You know, she can always also tell me when I'm being a little bitch or something <laughs> like that. Do you know what I mean? You like, need I, that. I need that. Exactly. Everyone um, needs that. I think Everyone so. Everyone needs I that. Think, I think you need it. I need it. <laughs> I, I, I need it for sure. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's the best. She's one of the best agents in Canada. Um, she's done very well for herself. And she runs a small boutique type agency. That's something that I'm uh, that I consider very important too. not just being lost in the shuffle of like, you know, 200 clients. She's got a tight 35 type of list where she can keep tabs on every single one of her clients on a daily basis personally. So how often do you get scripts? Um, it ebbs and flows depending on the season. So this past few months has been very slow. Because of COVID? Not necessarily because of COVID, just the winter time. Christmas break, uh. you know, Hanukkah, Christmas. It's uh, it's a whole month of, like, inactivity. So a show isn't likely to start up in the month leading up to Christmas, and it'll take that long for it to start up after Christmas. So right now we're in a very slow period. And I think once February hits, things will pick up. Typically, that's what they call pilot season. I've heard of this. Yeah, so pilot season is February to April, typically. Um, two months, okay. Yeah, two to three months. It could it could start earlier or end later. Um, but the way that the model would always work back in the day when there was primetime television is your, your, uh, your marquee flagship shows would go to air in the fall. Right, that fall TV back to school season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so things would cast in February, March, April. Then they would shoot the pilot in the spring. And then they would, okay. if they got picked up, they would go for the rest of the series over the summer so that they were ready to air by the fall TV season. I gotcha. That model doesn't exist the same way anymore because of the, the the advent of these streaming services, how things are just being pumped out at random. There's no real template to the order of series, unless you're talking about the ABCs, the NBCs, the, the CBS, like those, those networks are still kind of on that same model. So a lot of the things that I'll be getting in the next few months are going to be those ABC pilots, the That's NBC, so like, you know, the things that, that you see on TV in a couple months time, I'm going to be auditioning for all of those. So could you be in New York auditioning or can, how does that, cause ABC, NBC, isn't that New York? No, they're all they're all out of L.A. L.A. They have offices. I mean, NBC. I think like their head office is in New York, but they're obviously by coastal. Yeah. You know, all the film studios are are in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it could be New York. There there is a pilot season in New York, but they'll audition out of a number of different cities. So New York, L.A., London, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, Chicago. 
uh, Sydney, Australia, you know, like Jeez. they'll put out the call. And so the, the nice thing about COVID and the reason that I'm living here in Halifax now is because you don't have auditions happening in person. No way. No. Yeah. I feel like that's a big thing, though. Would it is you a need huge... them to be in person? Well, that's, I mean, there's an argument to be made there, definitely. And I think a lot of people like different, I, I like to be in the room. I Podcast? Like... I need, I can't do Zoom. I have to No, be... it's shit. It's terrible. I, I, I hate it. I completely understand the personal rapport you, you want to have. But there are lots of people out there who think that it's unnecessary. Ultimately, you're you're ending up on camera. So what does it matter that it's you're, fair. you're That's in fair. That's fair. I like to show my personality and, and connect with the people as a person. I like to, sh- to walk in that room and walk out of that room as myself as much as possible. That doesn't always work. A lot of people just want to see the character. and So uh, I think it's saving a lot of money too. There are definitely going to be a lot of like old school purists who are saying like this is ruining the casting uh, you know, process. But – I think it's saving a lot of people's lifestyles, saving a lot of money. What it means is that we can live remotely and audition remotely. So I can be anywhere, you know, including on vacation, uh, in a tropical location, and be submitting my auditions remotely. It doesn't matter. So I moved home to Halifax because Lord knows I could never afford to buy a house in (laughs) Toronto. But, uh, you know, move home and... And things are entirely different. I've got a studio in my house set up now that I can do all my auditions via Zoom. It's it's different. It's but a new world. It is a new world. Yeah, definitely. That has changed our industry possibly forever. I, I don't know that they'll ever go back to that model, given the convenience of it yeah. alone. So, And a lot of people, there's been an exodus out of L.A., out of New York, out of Toronto. A lot of my friends have left the city. Same, just yeah. moved back to here. Yeah. yeah. It's a crazy world we're living in. Mm. What's that? You you know, yeah, he, he went to Ryerson. He was up at school, and, and he was, was like, like a, "I was going to stay until COVID, and now it's a year and a half later, I'm still here." Yeah, there you go. There's so there's, many of those stories, man. Yeah. So All many. over the world, especially there's a lot of maritimers that live in Toronto that just come back. Yeah, or that have come back in the past, two or years. that are planning to come back now too. You know, because like I'm pretty sure there's a lockdown in Toronto too right now. They're, yeah, I think they're supposed to ease at the end of this month or something. But uh, I've talked to a lot of my friends who are still there, and and they're. You know, they're they're like you made the right decision to get out of here. You mm. know, like I miss the hustle and bustle of of Toronto, no doubt. And I I miss the uh, feeling like you're in the center of the universe in in some ways. You know, um, everything that happens in Canada sort of filters through Toronto, so you, you're in the you're in the mix mm. kind of thing. And there's events and concerts and stuff happening all the time. That's not really how it is right now. So. I had a cool, I had a meeting with uh, a gentleman the other day who used to run or still runs a, a media company up in uh, Toronto. He actually produces these uh, pamphlets here. So like Raptors and then he'll sell them for the Blue Jays and the yep. Maple Leafs. So he like, cool. he makes these year books and he, uh, he recently just moved back to uh, Halifax where he grew up, but he lived in Toronto, started this company, decided to move back because of everything that's happening, but still operates the business here in Toronto and we were talking about the high button sports and how he's like, what's your plan with it? What's your, what do you think the future is going to hold? And I go, you know, I, I flirt with the idea of Toronto. If, if I want to be a, a serious sports broadcasting media company, I feel I need to be talking to the Raptors. I feel I need to be talking to the Blue Jays and all this yep. stuff. And he looks at me, he goes, dude, you're, you're totally wrong. Halifax is where you need to be right now. It's the coolest up-and-coming market there is in Canada. And I looked at him. I thought he was a little nuts at first. Uh, and then I saw I, I, I sat back and I was like, you know what I mean? He's kind of right. 
Wow. People from around here, they they, they, they they love their local sports. They love uh, talking mm-hmm. to local individuals, mm-hmm. whether it's it, when it's not on like a newscast and it's a very serious conversation. It's, it's more fun, free-flowing with a podcast. Yep. And you have professional sports slowly starting to move in here with the Halifax Thunderbirds. Yep. The Mooseheads will always be here. And things are, mm-hmm. you know, you talk of a CFL team. But I know, I, I always think back to that meeting about the market here in Halifax and I think he was right. It's it's a it's a cool, slowly up and coming market. And when did you have that conversation? Uh, like two months ago. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, very cool. So I always think about that. Yeah, we have a a very good friend. Uh, my girlfriend's one of her best friends, Tyson Geik. He's the uh, the VP of communications for the Thunderbirds. I've seen the the, the guy. He's like always on camera. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blonde guy, yeah, yeah, tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty big arms, but not a great arm wrestler. <laughs> Um, he had a job with the Canucks, I'm pretty sure. He did, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's just moved here to take the job with the Thunderbirds. You know, so there's an exciting yeah. new uh, chapter of Halifax sports. Yeah. Um, and I look at that and I go, okay, wow, this is a guy who had a job with the NHL. Yeah. And he's here now. Yeah. It was, a, you, know? you know, it's a, it's, it was a lateral move in that it was a bigger position with a, a smaller yeah. organization, but, uh, but definitely it, it's, he wants to be in front of the, the microphone. Yeah. So like he's getting to do that stuff now and he's doing a fantastic job. If you ever get the chance to go to a Thunderbirds game, highly recommend it. It oh. is extremely entertaining, a very entertaining product. Like, you know, you don't get the same stuff in a hockey game. I love hockey, obviously, and I'll watch it till the day I die, but it is a more fan engaging. Yeah outing i would say yeah. unless you you know hockey people that go to watch hockey are usually know the game very well if you don't know anything about lacrosse you'll have a good time at a game yeah yeah they're a lot of fun mm-hmm. um i want to go back to just the uh, we had a couple people dm us how much time are we at uh, hour and five minutes hour and five minutes, hour and ten minutes. i uh what are you are you good for time i'm great for time i do have to pee okay here's what you're gonna do go uh you yeah. might not like it. I don't give a fuck. Go behind this curtain here. There's yeah. a sink. Just turn it on. Go. All right. Right there. Sweet. Just keep it, keep it going. Fuck it. Get some audio. Yeah. Other other one there, right there. Yeah. There you go. Turn the left. The turn the left handle on. Got it. There you go. I think this is a great episode so far. Are you good? You're good for time though. Yeah. You're sure. Yeah. For sure. Um. We'll uh we'll have to after this go. Uh, after this, we're going to have to go on the ice, do something. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to figure something out. I'm just too much on a high right now. Mm. I woke up this morning, um, and I was just like, today's going to be a good day. Like, I knew he was coming over for the podcast, and I was pumped for it. But I, I was just like, today's going to be a good day in terms of momentum. We always talk about momentum and this business needing momentum. I don't know. I just feel like momentum is going to come. And I'm just like these past two weeks, I've just kind of been done feeling um, sorry for myself with live stream going away. It's just like, eh. yeah. I don't know. I, haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> I know you haven't, but I want to bring up your person. I want to bring up your personal stuff so bad because I feel he has good advice for you. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. But, uh, but yeah, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do the exact same thing. So Steven, if you don't mind keeping Jeff company for 34, 40 seconds, go for it. My mom's calling me here too. Oh my God, take the where's, call. Yeah, where's mom at? We should take the call honest. <laughs> Just wait, actually, no, let me come back. I want to talk to her. If you do call her back, give me a second. She needs to put her TV on the wall at her apartment. She needs some 
Strong lads, she said. I guess I got some some duties later today. I went to one Wanderers game. Uh, yeah, great time. I uh, We were in one of the boxes and we had uh, like unlimited alcohol, so I didn't pay too much attention to the game. But what I did see, yeah, great atmosphere, great vibe, loved it. Uh, another great, great Halifax sports outing, the Wanderers games we're talking about. Oh, they're such – they're nice to us too. They're very – um, like what they came here two years ago and like they gave us media access. They let us talk to the players. They give us tickets for the year. Wow. And like whenever we need extra tickets for like our buddies, they'll give them to us. Like That's they're just great. so accommodating. Wow. Yeah. And they're, they're a group from New York. So like one thing I always stressed when I had the, our first meeting with them, I'm like, look, you guys are going to thrive here. You guys have a great, uh, great team. Yeah. And I was just like one little bit of advice for you, like embrace the community as hard as you can and yes. they will embrace you 10 times more and they you're took right. that advice right. i'm not saying that's the reason they have success but they've been doing that they're in schools they're in hospitals they're running camps yeah and the the community is definitely embracing them and they're throwing they're, they're they're having some success a lot totally. of success yeah, yeah yeah everyone's talking about it there's yeah. i haven't heard a bad word said about that no. entire organization and, and the, the fan experience yeah good for them man. it's a lot of fun yeah hopefully they'll all be because of you all because of me wow should be on the team i was a lacrosse guy too you know <laughs> big look, 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 look around you. you got a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't know the first thing to do. I, I could never really cradle very well. I never had good hands. Period. Really, no, hockey guys usually na- it comes natural to them. Yeah, not me. No, no, I was more of a more of a brute in terms <laughs> of hockey playing. You know, I was a very physical player. I wasn't known for my my dangles. Still not. Okay, well, do we, well, I want to talk about hockey for a second. Not about your dangles. There's a rumor, two rumors, okay. that you took uh, one slap shot from your far end in high school hockey, or junior high hockey, and you yeah. scored. Yeah. And there was one uh, when you took a slap shot from the far blue line and scored. Yeah. What gives you the right, and how do you have the balls to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Score. I, I, You know, I, this is going to sound braggadocious, but I can't remember which specific instance you're talking about because it has happened a few times oh if- <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was a time in adam triple a provincials i'll never forget it when i uh there was a puck in our corner now this is centennial arena so not the longest rink in the world but uh even in adam i took a clapper from below the dot in my own end and it went top shelf a- adam in adam that's right yeah is that a wooden stick? It was a wooden stick. Oh, my God. It took some sort of, like, hop, but, like, it was, you know, going through the air quite a bit, and then I think it, like, dipped down probably around, like, the top of the circles and went top corner on, on Chris Banfield. You know the goalie's name. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, because he was, like, the best goalie, too, and it, <laughs> and it totally fooled him. It was wild. And you said your dad had a clapper, right? My dad had a heavy clapper, yeah. And we, uh, we had a garage next – well, we built a garage – next to our our house uh that was never that we never parked the cars in it was just a huge shooting gallery awesome. and i just built like blew the wall the back wall out of it like two separate times just firing clapper like i'd shoot six seven hundred pucks a day like it was crazy what like, the calluses on my hands from just shooting pucks all day long so as you're shooting those pucks what are you thinking in your head nhl nhl or just get better get better yeah it just uh i mean i think in the back of my mind, yeah, it was NHL for sure, getting that NHL shot. But my dad just told me, like, 
you know, if you want to get good at something, you, you've got to practice. And that means like, like really practice. So I'd practice a little bit and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm talking like more and more and mm. more. So, and it paid off and he's like, look how it pays off. He's like, this is the direct translation of the work that you put in. Like it's, it's math. It's really just that easy. So, uh, and I, I, I quite loved going out there and, um, just letting her fly. Yeah. You know, I would be like five, 600 bucks before dinner kind of thing. Like that was the joke. That's a lot. That's a lot. A lot lot of shots, man. Yeah. So I had a really, really heavy shot. And like, again, I was big, but I got my technique down and I think I just, yeah, yeah, it was a weapon. So there was a couple, there's a good story about the time I, uh, I was playing peewee triple A and I got called up to play bantam double A in Halifax. So the peewee triple A team had just finished a game and then the bantam double A's were going out that night and, and they asked, they, they invited me up. And uh, I show up in the dressing room, and there's a guy named Mike Sade, who is... Uh, Mike Sade, I know that Yeah, name. you would know that name. He's quite a few years older than you, but he went to the West. Um, and do you know Trevor Gossin? Mm, I know the name. I don't know the guy. Yeah, so they were related. Okay. And Oh, Trevor. Is that Spencer's brother? Spencer's older brother. Exactly. He goes... I think he goes to the... Good, the gym I go to. Yeah. I okay. know him, yeah. So these guys are on the Bantam team. They're, you know, two years yeah. older than me. And uh, and Trevor has a shaved head, and they had just gotten back from a vacation in Cuba or Mexico. Yeah, sounds about right. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really know Mike at the time, but uh, I'm just you know lacing lacing up the skates. I don't know anybody really in the room, and I'm kind of quiet. And I look over, and there's Mike Sade with these two butane lighters, and he's got them both going. And he looks at me and he goes, "Hey Lund, if you don't score a goal tonight," I'm going to light your hair on fire. <laughs> and I was like, Haha, that's funny, man. And then someone nudges me like, no, he's not kidding. Like, look at Trevor's hair. And his he- head was shaved because Mike set his hair on fire with no. his two butane lighters when they were on vacation. It's like, this guy's crazy. So it wasn't a joke. It was not a joke. So I go out there. We're playing the, the Bedford Blues. And it was, uh, yeah. It He's was, this guy's from Bedford. Is it? No, I, I knew there was something. He's still got to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was like a 2-1 game late in the third, like really late in the third. I hadn't scored yet, but I was out in like the final minute of the game, and yeah. they had their goaltender pulled. Yeah. And I got the puck, and I'm sweating, obviously. Like this guy's like on the bench just like mean mugging me like, this little schmelt, I'm gonna like set his hair ablaze, and I get the puck at like the top of my circle, and I wind up from the far blue line and just went bar down. So it was a three-one final in like the final thirty seconds. Like, thank God it was an empty net, but yeah, got to keep your bar hair. down. Yeah, got to keep my my beautiful locks. Um, yeah, that was a trip. There's so many fucked up stories from minor hockey, man. Yeah. So oh many. God. Every time we played Bedford, the coaches would come in like, oh, let's beat these rich fuckers. These rich <laughs> That's how they'd motivate us. Yeah. Pulling yeah. up in their bends. Let's go beat these yeah. We have no concept of socioeconomics. <laughs> or money. Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, what? Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like their jerseys. It's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of my friends were on that yeah. team. The, yeah. the coaches are more pissed than the kids. Yeah. <laughs> rich fucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah, though. That yeah. that's uh, yeah, man. That's, keep my hair. You got to keep the hair. Yeah. What are you doing the rest of the day? Oh, I, I think my mom called to to say that she needs help mounting her TV to her wall. So I'm gonna do some uh, some sun duties there. 
probably hit the gym, straight biceps today. Monday, big, big uh, Monday, bicep. big arm day. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, not too much, man. Just, Wicked, yeah. man. Yeah, this is definitely the highlight of the day. So the highlight of my day, highlight of my week, past two weeks. Yeah. I like that I'm episode three sixty nine too. Yes, yeah, very, very. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're sixty nine or you're the actual like episode four hundred or five hundred, sixty yeah. nine is where you want to yeah, be. Yeah. That's a good or, or four twenty, yeah, or four twenty. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. used to go yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's coming up. Fifty yeah. episodes away. Fifty one. Someone who smokes the ganja. <laughs> Where'd you go to high school? You went to QEH. So and I they went. Tore it down. They they tore it down yeah. the year after I graduated. No way. Yeah. So, all right, one's gone. Let's That's it. it yeah, not getting any better than this. It's over. Yeah, they built the Citadel, the new school. But uh, I went for my grade ten year, and then I was drafted by PEI. So I, I played a year and a half in PEI. So I did eleven and a half of twelve uh, in PEI, and then I came back to QE to graduate, where I only had at that time I'd done a ton of courses through correspondence, so yeah. I had a, I had enough credits so that I only had one class <laughs> uh, my second semester at QE. So and it was a joke. I think it was like English or something like that, <laughs> which was. My best subject, so I didn't really need to apply myself. And uh, I'd just show up half an hour late every class with Palace VIP written on my hand. <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> the strolling in, hung over, got my Timmy's in my hand. And then as soon as that Timmy's was done, I'd pop a lipper in and toss a dank in the middle of classes. High school man. Palace in high school. VIP, oh, yeah. dollar beer. Wow. Yeah, dude, yeah. I had this great fake ID for a while. It was awesome. Until it was seized, and I, uh, I was, I was actually okay. So the moose had just gotten eliminated. This yeah. was in like April, I guess it was. This was the year that Marshawn and Voracek were on the team. Bryce oh, yeah. Swan. Can you? Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. can you tell us any of behind the scenes Marshawn stories after what you're about to tell me for the moose heads? Yeah, I mean, but like th- you don't have to tell me now. Na- like, just, well, well, just, to be honest, like I've known Brad my entire life. We've we played against each other since i was and he's one year older than me so every second year we'd play against each other and uh there was that year where they took a a year out in minor hockey so we ended up playing against each other for three years straight um lot of spears and slashes and dirty stick work in those exchanges or what he was famous for for a couple years there was turtling where you know he'd see you coming for a hit because he knew that he'd pissed you off and you were trying to get some retribution on him. Yeah. And he, at the last second, he'd duck down to his knees and you'd go flying over the back of him. <laughs> oh, fucking bastard. Still doing it. I know. <laughs> he's he's toned it down quite a bit, thankfully. But I think he got suspended a few times for it. Such a cheap shot. <laughs> but that's the kind of guy he is, you know. Yeah. He'll do anything to win. God love him. What was Vorchak? Uh, oh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, so I don't really have a ton of experience with, with Marshy because – that was when I was my most concussed. So I was sitting out a lot of those games. Yeah. I didn't play a ton with him. I wasn't with the team. I couldn't travel with the team. So I kind of missed out on those few months when he was in Halifax. I, I can distinctly remember, you know, the energy shifting in the room. Like there was uh, there was a big swing and dick in the, in the team now. Yeah. Uh, after he just won the World Cha- the World Juniors, he's coming in as a, a highly highly touted twenty year old. Uh, destined, destined yeah. to make the NHL hometown exactly. So he was full of piss and vinegar, and um, I know that he did. He he did a few things that I that really pissed me off on the ice. Really, like he would just he would dipsy doodle a lot. Like he just he had so much confidence that he would just 
try to hang on to the puck and dangle people for like, you know, an entire minute of a shift. And there would be times when he's like up around the blue line and I'm the defenseman just sort of handcuffed there. Like, what do I do? Do I back off? Do I hold the line? I don't know what to do. And then he'd turn the puck over and it'd be a breakaway and I'm chasing the guy down. Like he did that a number of times to me where I was like, for Christ's sake, this guy's going to fucking rain it in here. And I'm sure the coaching staff was even more upset. Maybe. Yeah, but again, like he... He'd already won a Mem Cup, like he'd already won the yeah. World Juniors, like you know they were. He, it was over for him, like he wasn't as invested, um, and the team didn't go as far as they could have gone. I think they were missing some pieces anyway, but but uh, there's so many rumors about that year because well, it was yeah. like on paper it was the best team, like very Definitely. very good, yeah. But it just never. There's just like a lot of like speculation about that year, what was going on. I think it's because they were missing number four on the blue line. Yeah, he was too busy at at Palace VIP. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, number four. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was number two my whole career, and then uh, Bonnerchuk had number two. So I had. Did you give it to him? No, no, no. He was the captain. He 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 had first first right of refusal, but. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a number four. That's for sure. It was a Luciano Lomano. He had it, and then we were traded for each other. So I took his number. He took mine. Pi, but uh, where'd you sit in the room? Geez. So you walk in. There's a far wall. Yeah, I, I was to the left. So you're by. You got the. By slant. the te- I was by the, the tendies. I think oh, I you're on the corner. That's where to, I sat. Too. Near to the near to the corner. Yeah. That's I, where I, I was, was in yeah. the corner. Yeah. Like, barely. Yeah. Schmelt. Yeah. You oh, would just. Be. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a call up for the moves, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're relegated lucky, you're lucky to the corner. You're lucky if you get a helmet. You're lucky. Um, what was Vorchek like in the room? Was he awkward as like a Czech kid? No. I heard his English wasn't good. Or did he fit right he in? He was the best. Was he the best? I fucking love Jacob Vorchek. What was, what was yeah. the best about him? And everybody loves him, man. Like he, he was such a funny guy. Like I think if he was able to speak his own language, he would have us all in stitches at all times. Like he's just a funny guy. His English is great now. Yeah. Um, but he was just. Just the greatest energy. He like he come into the room all the time, all smiles, just like so happy to be there. Just always down to to, to you know make somebody laugh. Um, and he really cared a lot about the team's success. That's you know, awesome. he fought yeah. a number of times. Like I remember my first training camp with him. We had this huge brawl against PEI. Or actually, no, I was I was playing with PEI against the Mooseheads, and he had a fight in that game. And I was like, wow, that Voracek guy, like he's the real deal. I'd sit, sit next to him a few times on the bus and he'd play tunes for me. Like, uh, he's like, Lana, this song is the best. Dude. And I'm Lonner. like, shit, yeah, like, what song is it? Like, what are you listening to, dude? And he'd give me a hear, an, uh, an earbud and it was Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. And, like, you know, like, these are the tunes that he's listening to. We're all listening to, like, you know, Eminem and all these, like, gangster rap and stuff before the game. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's, like, listening to Girls 80s pop rock. Though. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, he's the best, dude. He would eat McDonald's all the time. Oh, yeah? All the time. He McDonald's. loved it. Did they have that in Czech Republic, McDonald's? Did I don't think they had a lot of them. Maybe they did have a few, but uh, he was obsessed with it. Oh, yeah? And, like, but he could still you know skate like the wind and he was in decent enough shape like we were all just like dude you shouldn't be eating that like we're not eating that nearly as often as you are like we all did crush mcdonald's from time to time because we were you know 16 17 years old it was right through yeah. exactly yeah yeah we're burning twelve thousand calories a day um 
but yeah, he would have Pepsi on the bench. Uh, no. Just like the most unusual thing. We had some Czech players or teams come over for different tournaments over my junior or my minor hockey career. And they would all drink Pepsi on the bench too. Like it was. Ovechkin does it too. It's like yeah. it's the sugar. Right? It's the sugar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was it was completely ridiculous to us back in the day. <laughs> like, what is this about? But yeah, that's crazy. Do you yeah. ever have them over for dinner or anything like that? You ever like? Uh, it's not back in those days. I don't think. I mean, we spent so much time together anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, I was actually because I was living in Halifax. Um, I had my own group of friends outside of of the team do you know what I'm yeah saying? that must really... be interesting did they did the guys that were on the team that come from away like hey lon like can we hang like because they didn't really have a social click other than the team did they ever try to get away and try to hang out with you and yeah like... no they kind of kept to each other yeah um and i had my high school buddies yeah do you know yeah. so uh which was great i i saw enough of them i wasn't kind of like uh again this is like when i was struggling with my identity and i felt like uh uh, a sheep in wolf's clothing. I was the kind of guy that could walk the walk and talk the talk, but they, they weren't the kind of guys that I was feeling mentally stimulated by and wanted to be around at all times. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, no no offense to them whatsoever. And I'm not talking about every single person on the but just like that dynamic of having that many hockey players around each other. I, I'd done that my whole life, and I was starting to kind of grow tired of it and wanted something a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... I regarded hanging out with the boys all the time as a bit of a regression, whereas I was more interested in, okay. yeah, you know, talking about movies and, you know, art in some kind of way mm-hmm. or uh, something that was a little bit more uh, stimulating to me. Anyway, but there were times that I I went out with the boys, including, and I have to tell this story, uh, when that team was ultimately eliminated from the playoffs and I was... I was a big bar star at that point because I was I was concussed for like many months. There was no chance of me making a comeback, right? Yeah. So like when playoffs started, I was kind of just checked out. So I would go to the games and set up in the press box and whatever and just make plans for that night. Did they give you food in the press box back then? I'm sorry, I got interrupted. You. you got yeah, Subway up there back then. I think we got Subway. Okay, yeah. that's it. Go back to the story. I, I got to see the thing, Yeah, yeah, okay. maybe a bit of popcorn every once in a while. But uh, um so, yeah, so I, I was out at the bar, but this was also grade 12, and I don't know if this is the case in all provinces, but in Nova Scotia, there were the uh, the provincial equivalency exams for math, English, and science. Uh-oh. And English, no problem. Science, not much of an issue. Math, big-time fucking issue. So I had a a tutor that I would go to on the weekly during that grade 12 year to try to Pass this provincial math exam because it's just not my strength and I just didn't care about it couldn't apply myself just like was learning Japanese you know for me and uh, so the boys get eliminated and they all go out to the dome that night to drown their sorrows and I am in line with them I'm 18 at the time I'm in line with them at the dome but I have no plans to go in. I'm just sort of waiting with them until they go in, and then I was going to go home because I had my provincial math exam the next day. So I'm waiting in lineup, and uh, I was sober as a judge, but I had to pee. And I go across the street to Parade Square, and I drain the main vein. Only just before I finished and was able to zip my fly... I see the red and blue lights behind me. 
and the paddy wagon is there and they're already on the way out of the paddy wagon they're like all right fella you're coming with us for the night and i was like oh you're sober no sober i'm like no 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 no. you don't understand listen i am sober totally sober and they're like yeah yeah we've heard that one before pal <laughs> like come on no no and they're like let me see your id and i was like shit and the only id i had on me was my fake id and they took one look at it you know it's one thing to fool a bouncer it's another thing to fool a cop and they knew exactly that it was fake and they're like this this is not you and my buddy john MacArthur, who was going out with us uh at the time too he was screaming from the line at the dome he goes Number four in your programs, number one in your hearts. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's really not helping things, man. So they throw me in the back of the paddy wagon and take me to the drunk tank. And that whole night, I'm pleading with the cops. I'm like, listen, look at me. Look me in the eye. I am sober. I have a math exam in the morning. Like, I can't be here, dude. I need to go home and study. My mother is going to castrate me if this doesn't work out. So they weren't having any of it. So I just spent the whole night there there was like tons of shit that went on i tried to get some sleep and then people started filtering into the like the 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 big cell which is like a concrete slab and if i can you know the the bars on the doors or whatever um this guy came in and he was like trying to cuddle with me and then somebody else got into a fight with that guy and there was like blood everywhere it was pandemonium and so after that kind of the dust settled a little bit, the cops came by to check on us and they see the blood and what's going on. This guy's screaming and he needs medical attention. So they take him away to go get stitched up at the hospital. And I grab one of the cops. I'm like, listen, look at me. I, my name is Steve Lund. I, I, I play for the, for, the, for the moose heads. Come on, man. Like, can this give me any kind of clout here? Like, I need to get out of here. Look at me. I'm sober as a judge. I have this fucking math exam. And the cop looks at me and she goes... I know you. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Yes. She's like, I'll be right back. And I'm like, amazing. And I'm just like, you know. I can't believe it took you this long to drop the Mooseheads card. Well, no, when he was coming by, this was like six hours later. I would have dropped it when I was peeing. Like, if if they would have came up to me. I did. I was with my team, but those cops, they just, like, they were such assholes because they saw my fake ID. I think they were like, ah, well, you you, kind of, you buckled yourself here, pal. We've got no choice. So the cops, she... She's like, I'll be right back. I'm like, sick. I'm like, fuck all y'all. I'm getting out of here. She comes back with a pen and a piece of paper just like this. And I was like, what is this? And she passes it through the bars and she goes, can you sign this for my daughter? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) It was the oddest autograph I've ever given. So I was like, oh my God. So I wrote something like, uh, Jesus. Uh, She goes, oh, watch out for the blood. I'm like, oh. Stay out of trouble. Steve Lund, number four, boom, handed it to her. She goes, thanks so much. My daughter's going to love this. And then goes away, disappears for another hour and a half. Now, at this time, at this point, it's 930 in the morning, and the exam is at 10. And at if, QEH. At like you're, QEH. You're right next to it. Right next to it, right exactly. Just on the other side yeah. of the hill. If, uh, if I'm more than a half an hour late, they shut the doors. I can't write the exam. I get an automatic zero. So at 9.30, they call my name, and it's finally time because I went in at 9.30. It's 12 hours for us to sober up, even though I hadn't had a goddamn drop of booze all night. And uh, so they call my name finally. You know, I I get signed out. They're giving me my shoelaces and everything like that, my personal effects, my cell phone. My girlfriend at the time was just like, you're 
cheating on me, aren't you? And I was like, no, babe, you don't understand. He meant nothing to me. <laughs> he cuddled me first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm stressing out. How am I going to have to walk to, to QE right now? I don't have any money or anything like that. And I hear my name, Lunder. And I look behind me, and there were these two twin cops who had done work with the, the Mooseheads. They were like the, the, these, I don't know, constables or whatever. Great guys. I can't remember their name right now, but they were like real buddy-buddy with the team. They would take us on ride-alongs and stuff like I that. I know who these people are. B- both yeah. bald? Yes. Okay. They were there when I was there. Okay. Yeah. 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 Awesome guys. Again, I can't remember their name. I'll we'll have to fact check them. But uh, they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, boys, this is the situation. I need a ride to school. Can, can you give me a lift? And they're like, sure, buddy. Hop in the fucking paddy wagon or hop in the, in yeah. the squad car. Flick the lights on. Rip me to QEH. Like, everybody's all inside. It's like 10, 15 at this point. They're all writing their exams. And I pull into the quad, into this, <laughs> this cop car. I got bar stamps all over here. And, uh, and I'm running in. I'm like, oh, shit, wait. I don't have a pencil. I'm like, hey, boys, <laughs> can I borrow a pencil? One of them throws one at me. Catch it. Hey, thanks a lot, man. We'll see you later. Run inside. Get in there like 10, 20 everyone's just like what the fuck dude and i'm like don't ask me it's been the longest i look like shit shut up i sit down i write the exam and i got a 52 percent and i passed provincial math let's take a second here and just because i know probably as a grown man that still has some effect on you sitting in that cell all night for you to pass get a 52 oh congratulations yeah yeah all those hours of of doing the tutoring like all year oh that's fifth, incredible. What a story. the best 52 I've ever had. Yeah. What a, the fact yeah. that you got your laces back. I've, I've known people that have had to come to meetings the next day don't have laces. They're coming in the flop. Yeah, the thing, yeah, you got your yeah, laces yeah. back, so that's good. It's a rite of passage to be in the drunk tank. I just, I kind of wish that I was drunk. It was, <laughs> yeah. like, being there really sober is Really shitty, dude. Because you can't sleep. Yeah. If you're hammered, brutal. you pass out. Yeah, exactly. What a story. Mm-hmm. What a story. Yeah. That's Glad crazy. I was here to tell it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the oddest autograph I've ever signed, for sure. I thought you were out. Did you think you were out of there? Yes. You're like, oh, I'm out of here. Of course. I was like, oh, thank, thank God you're yeah. saving my life. Of course. I'll give you this autograph in exchange yeah. for yeah. you to spring me a little yeah. early here so I can go and run over my notes before I got to write this. I want to get a picture, too, while you're at it. Jesus, man. Yeah, between the bars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I don't know if I got anything else for you. I think you covered that's it all. Good, good note to end on. Yeah. Oh, that's a hell of a note to yeah, end on. Perfect, you're, you're uh, yeah. dude, I feel like you're just getting started in your journey. Yeah, you're gonna come back here next year. We'll see where you're. I'll at. do episode 420 if if you don't get there in the next year. I like that. Yeah. We'll get a studio that's uh, more puff friendly. Yeah, it doesn't go. Up eh, to it. I guess you could, but. Yeah, we'll hotbox this place. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> That'd All be right, a hilarious man. episode. Steve, you're the man. Thank Thanks you very so much, much for coming buddy. on. I appreciate Congrats it. Congrats to you on the on the podcast, man. Oh, and thank everything's you. Everything's going well. Good for you, buddy. I, I appreciate that. Everything. Uh, you made the right decision staying in Halifax. How's that? I like yeah. that. Yeah. But if I ever need to come visit somewhere, make sure you just have a couch so I can crash if you're sure. in L.A., Vancouver. Just make sure. Yeah, man. You know. No Go doubt. interview the Canucks. Stay at your place. Go back to yeah, the rink. Yeah. Figure it out. All right, man. We will. All Take right. Care. Everyone uh, listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. It's Monday, beginning of the week. Work hard, have fun, stay safe, get out on the lake, go skating. Yeah, do it. I think that <laughs> I think that's all I got to say. Uh, once again, thank you very much to everyone for listening. Stay safe, have fun, we're out. Thanks, y'all. Peace.
sunshine beating on the good times Moonlight racing from the grave String band playing more that honky-tonks Pretty young thing going dancing in the rain Lady spitting at the knicker jacks Businessman with a needle and a spoon Coyote chewing on a cigarette Pack of young boys going howling at the moon Head darling, sleeping on the blacktop Head darling, running through the trees, honey Head darling, leaving for the next time Lesson my set sketches up with me On the number four Two witnesses blowing up high Not sure whose will be done You can call me a sinner For a wondering why Head darling Sleeping on the black top Head darling Running through the trees honey Head darling Leaving for the next time Lesson my sense Catches up with me Tastes sweeter in this town Could it be it's the same as the last I swear I've seen your face elsewhere before Just as familiar as a bottle and a glass Head darling, sleeping on the black top Head darling, running through the trees, honey Head darling, leaving for the next town Lesson my set sketches up with me Head darling, sleeping on the black top Head darling, running through the trees, honey Head darling, leaving for the next town Lesson my sense catches up with me Lesson my sense catches up with me